That's right. You're listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse for the latest news, views, and opinions in Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the co-hosts and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJM, where we've had a show for five years. All right, we're off uh, last week. Uh, we were closely following the U.S. election, and I've been closely following all the aftermath uh, since then. We're going to be discussing that uh, right away. Please remember to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And with that being said, my name is Al Teshuba, co-hosting and joined remotely with Daniel Ablisser and Dave Sundin. And Christine will be joining us uh, for a special segment she's excited about. Uh, but we're getting started. The date right now is November 10th. Uh, 7 p.m. is our broadcast time. And Daniel, lead us off with the first story. You were quite popular on this one. Yeah, so uh, so two big stories that I think we're going to talk about for most of the episode this week, although there's some other things we'll fill in. Uh, the uh, the first story that we're going to talk about is the U.S. election. So a week ago, the U.S. election was held. Uh, that was last Tuesday, November 3rd. As, we, as Al indicated, we are recording on November 10th tonight. The election, by my recollection, was called on Saturday, so a few days ago. Um, all the major media outlets have now called the election for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, the only person that seems to uh, not have gotten the memo was Donald Trump. So, so that's where we are. Uh, some local news stories that we'll put up on our feed. Uh, CTV story, U.S. citizen in Windsor offended but prepared for mail-in ballot controversy. The uh, U.S. citizen that was offended but but also prepared was me. Um, also, uh, Ann Jarvis wrote a column, why did almost half of the US electors vote for four more years of this? Uh, again, she, uh, she uh, quoted uh, me. So, uh, so uh, that, that's enough about me, although I don't know where uh, CBC was, CTV and Windsor Star reached out where to me. Where are these but, other networks not getting but, a hold of Daniel Avalser? What's going but, on? But, but apparently I wasn't good enough for CT, uh, CBC. So uh, tell Molnar, get on with it. Like uh, you've got my number. Um, so but I'll they're give able to tune in and they're going to be able to listen to more detail of what you have to say as all our listeners are on this program well exactly so look i'll give my thoughts on the election on uh, where we are uh where we're heading uh but al you had a whole bunch of money on this so i take it the family's not going on vacation this year uh the good news is is that uh just like many world leaders and just like 70 percent of the latest poll who believe that they need to count all the votes and that it seemed like something fishy was going on, uh, they have not called it. So anything to do with uh, controversial states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, North Carolina, that I would profit if, if Trump uh, gets the victory on that, on the recounts or lawsuits or whatever he has to further on uh, get a decisive uh, check mark next to his name instead of the way it's looking right now. Uh, these are are still in the mix, and and I just honestly I don't get it. I, I in two thousand in the year two thousand I watched for thirty seven days where the media and the Democrats where we got to count every vote, and it was obviously it was like of course you're going to count every vote. You know the the pregnant chads and the hanging chads, and they went through different phases of lawsuits, but in the end it was enough time between the election until the time in which they have to have the state legislators uh, send over their electoral college representatives to count uh, towards the official ballots the GS, through the GSA to call the election. Um, I didn't see anybody rush to judgment. I certainly didn't see George Bush at the time start fireworks and be proclaimed by the media. It didn't work that way. So it's a double standard at the very least. And you know what? I'm just, I'm just sitting back. Uh, Trump is very calm about this. He went golfing for Pete's sake. He's fine. Let it go through the process. I mean, there are some things going on. And Daniel and Dave, as lawyers, I, I would hope you'd want to see the law fulfill what it's designed to do to actually see and, and, and measure true integrity on valid, valid concerns and not rush to judgment. That's what I have to say. All right. So I mean, I... I, I I'm, I'm not sure if weaponizing Justice Department is really is uh, the legal system playing out, but uh, Ooh, I guess we can I guess we can debate that. Um, uh, Daniel, two on one today. Right? Two on one on Al today. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> no, Christine, to back you up today, Al. I don't um, know if Christine would back me up on this one. I think I'm all alone. I think I'm actually only about ten percent of the population that is still open minded to the fact that Donald Trump can uh, 
win this election and have four more years. I mean, I, it was paying nine to one up to about three days ago. I did as much yeah. as I could, but yeah. I'm... So, so, so I guess I was going to say two things in response to you, but now he says three things. So, All right, I'm, I'm going to listen. So, so, so first off, um, I, I somewhat agree with you, Al. There was a lot of hypocrisy between what the Democrats said in 2000 versus what they're saying now. I, I get that. Uh, I think it is different. We're, it's not one state that's uh, close. Um, and in debate, there's a whole number of states which are close in which Donald uh, Trump uh, alleges there was improprieties, which haven't been, been um, uh, no evidence has been found uh, to substantiate them to date, but I guess we'll see if they can find some or manufacture something that's plausible. Um, so that's, that's point number one. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, just going back to 2018, I think there's enough hypocrisy to go around on, on every side. 2018, um, you know, the, the Democrat from Georgia, uh, running for governor, lost and um, uh, refused to concede because it was so close. And and you talking about Stacey the Republicans said then versus what they're saying now, it's completely the opposite of what they 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 said just a, a couple of short years ago. Um, Do second, I get the answer thank you each for one? Inviting... Do I get the answer sure. on, on that one there? Sure. Do you want to get that... now or, or after? No, no, I can't remember them all. I, on that one there, I would just simply say that usually when there's there's fraud or improprieties or rule breakings, it normally doesn't go Republican way. It normally is the other way. So maybe that's why. But as far as the, uh, the challenging aspect, I'm just looking at it from the true comparable of the year 2000 when it was a presidential election and everybody were, were like, the Constitution and the framers of the Constitution knew that there needed to be a period of time between the time of the election and the time the state legislators said, and this was designed to count the ballot. And suddenly it was like the genius of the forefathers of the American Constitution uh, that deliberately wrote in these five or six weeks. And now it's like, no, 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 we got we to gotta call it right away. Never, never mind any improprieties. So it, it's really a double stand. And I'm glad you at least agree with me on that. Yeah. All right. So, well, here, here's so uh, I'll use you compared this to uh, 2000 with the uh, the hanging chads and the pregnant chads. And I'll, I'll just say that it's the year 2020. And I think uh, hanging chad today is uh, some turn, ter, term in the uh, incel movement that you might find online. And uh, I guess it's 2020. So maybe chad could be pregnant. But uh, but 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 that's another story. Look, I, I just think, look, this is at this point, it is a far more definitive victory than um, than Donald Trump had in 2016. 2016, three states, 72,000 votes or something like that. We're, we're, we're much farther removed from that. Do, does anybody expect uh, Donald Trump to concede? No. Frankly, I could care less at this point. I mean, what I have concerns for is there's parts of the levers of government that we need to have a smooth tra transition for. So, uh, so even if Donald Trump doesn't want to concede, uh, you know, Joe Biden should be getting his national security briefings. Think, you know, the the things that have to be done to allow for the transition need to be done. And then, you know, frankly, if Donald Trump wants to concede, not to concede, we'll book him a we'll book him a golf tee time at 10 a.m. on January 20th and just change the locks while he's out of the building. Like I, I, I really don't care to hear from uh, Donald Trump. I think he's embarrassing himself. Um, what but, if he turns out to be right though? He's not like he, here. Here's the thing. There's like seven things that none of which are going to happen that Donald Trump would all need to happen. So let's even say that Donald Trump succeeds on this challenge on Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. that ba that ballots that were received after the close of voting are not to be counted, despite the fact that most people agree those are to be counted. But even if those aren't to be counted. That doesn't mean that Donald Trump's going to win the election. It means that there might be some ballots that we have to back out, but I don't think that it's going to be enough to, to split the difference. And then even if it was, there's still like three other states that Donald Trump needs to win. So, I mean, the, the yeah, line but what that if there the, was systematic uh, voter fraud with the quote unquote software glitch? And what if there were deliberate efforts? I mean, what if it was across those swing states What's the difference if it's five states or, or one state if it took, by the way, I don't think anything nefarious happened in 2000. I think, honestly, if I recall correctly, uh, Pat Buchanan was on a butterfly ballot in, in Miami-Dade County and people got confused and they and they it, it really switched up and it totally changed what the exit poll said. It was totally a different circumstance. This one here is not challenging in like uh, accidental or challenging a close election. There is actually accusations of fraud. 
and it's different than 2000. The only comparable to me is that Al Gore was given 37 days to go through all the legal challenges. By the way, he was given, um, well, actually at the time he was vice president, so it didn't matter, but they had said at the time that even if he wasn't vice president, just as a matter of national security and just in case he would be president, he would be entitled to receive the, the top level uh, intelligence reports and, and prepare for a transition. So he could run on two channels. So yeah, I mean, I just I don't think that there's credible allegations. I mean, my recollection was that uh, in Pennsylvania, the Republicans got some guy to allege some allegation. And within about 12 hours, it was determined that he was actually a convicted pedophile living in New Jersey. So what he would know, I don't know. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, an alleg anybody can make an allegation against about anything. That doesn't mean that True. there is any merit to it whatsoever. I think that we got to be open-minded to hear the evidence and Look, I count, think the, count, count the count the ballots. Oh, yeah, I have no problem ballots. with counting the ballots. Yeah. The problem is Donald Do, Donald Trump's people in in half the states on Wednesday and Thursday were saying count the vote, and on uh, on the in the other half were saying stop the count. You can't have it both ways. So well, you know it, you know it, why it, there's no riots in the streets right now? It's actually very very simple. Okay, Donald Trump said probably the most mature, the most uh, presidential, and the most American statement that you can make. And I think both of you would appreciate this. He said that if all my legal challenges are exhausted, and if it turns out that the count is what it is for Biden, we will have a peaceful transition. That's all you need to know. So then it goes back to 2000, where the brilliance of the forefathers of the American Constitution allowed for five to six weeks to sort things out. And that's the period that we're in. So I, you know, Biden can have fireworks and jump the gun, but there is a 70% poll that came out today of Americans, all Americans, 70%, not just Republicans, 70% said that they feel that something was nefarious and something needs to be looked at. So well, like, let's look like, at it. So, like, so I thought like, conservatives said that you can't trust the polls anymore, but uh, maybe maybe you can. Uh, the polls that were biased, I mean, you can't trust Wisconsin was 17 points ahead. Those were suppression polls. You I know, mean, Frank, you to find frankly, new jobs. I, I, I think that really this exhibits the larger problem and frankly, a bit of what the uh, Ann Jarvis article was about, which is that, you know, e e even even Al, you and uh, Dave and I seem to be living in alternate universes. And, it, it's, and it's, it's the same universe. It's just I'm expecting an outcome that will actually go through a judicial system and actually go through every vote challenge and every bit of scrutiny. And only then would it be legitimate. And I'm prepared to take the outcome either way. Obviously, I'd prefer a certain outcome to so that I could profit a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I'm still sad. And actually, Trump said it as well. If he doesn't win the challenges, then he will concede and have a peaceful transition. I don't recall him saying that. But no, he, he said did, it through so spokespeople, and I heard it three times. Yeah, because he, he wouldn't be able to say that eloquently himself. Yeah, okay. But so, um, but it, he didn't deny it. He didn't tweet. No, I didn't say that. Like, they started saying that Jared was against him, and that was – or Melania was against him. She immediately debunked that. So you got to yeah. watch which news stories you get. But on that one there, Trump did not deny it. It, it came from the White House. If the court challenge – if there's not a path to victory through the courts or challenges or recounts, he will concede – and uh, have a peaceful transition. So what more do you want? Let's just wait so, it out. So the other thing I wanted to, wanted to point out to you, Al, you, you mm -hmm. said that it's not, you know, Donald Trump's not, not out yet. Um, I, I would agree with you on that point, which is if it seems like the Democratic Party, if they can find some way to botch something up, they'll find it. They're, they're like the lions in the fourth quarter. So even though right now <laughs> it's looking very good for, for Biden and the Biden and Harris ticket, um, I, I'm not thinking at the bank until they're actually sworn in on January 20th and, and they're in the White House and Donald Trump's out. Uh, so a week give ago, you that much. We, we were up till four in the morning. And when I went to bed, Trump was paying 1.16 and Biden was paying six to one. And that's because they thought Donald Trump would win. I wake up and all of a sudden it was switched like that wee hour of the morning and suddenly ballots arrive and different counting. And everyone went to bed on the night of the election thinking, OK, Trump's got it. Wake up. Oh, what the hell yeah. happened? Right. Just and look that, at the I wish tweets. I placed my bet. Then I, I placed my bet when it was uh, Biden as was at only at one point five. So my yeah. my Trump my Trump friend and I um, uh, put two fifty <laughs> down each. Um, he picked uh, crazy Trump bets um, right. that would have massive payouts, uh, and I hedged it with with uh, Biden bets. And as long as Biden hits over three hundred electoral college votes, um, we make back um, all of our our. Um, uh, 
you know, everything we put down and we recover about 200 bucks. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, we give, we give good political financial advice on this show. So, <laughs> so to move, to move on from the gambling, you know, my, uh, frankly, my takeaway from this is that, uh, you know, I, even though I'm quite happy to see that Joe Biden has, well, in my universe, one and in Al's universe, maybe one, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm still pretty pessimistic about this result. I mean, look, Donald Trump received over, I believe now we're up over 70 million votes. I think he's trending towards about 72 million votes. That's yeah. the second Le legal, legal votes, he would add. Okay. 71, well, I, I, 71 I, million legal votes. Okay. Um, I, I mean, there's no doubt that some of the votes that he's receiving were, were came in in Pennsylvania after the election, after the uh, the polls closed. But uh, if if you want his votes to be legal, so so be it. I'm not. I'm. I'm I, frankly, I, I'm moving beyond that at this point because I think it's ridiculous. But but just more generally, you know, I look at this as a uh, re relief. Um, but you know, it's pretty pessimistic. I, I think that the the best thing that I can say about this is that if you look at Donald Trump as a tyrant, which I do, I'm sure you don't, but I do, you know, the best thing that you can say about the US system is that the levers of government, the, you know, the Constitution that the US put in place 250 years ago was stretched to the breaking point, but seems to have held that's about the best. That's about the most optimistic view that I can take. But We're only in day seven, it lasted 37 days 20 years ago. This yeah, is but it nothing. was divided. It was separated by 500 votes in Florida. That's but it like, still was uncalled. It was it was still disputed. And it went through many different courts. Five, 500 votes is like two blocks in a trailer park in Florida. Like it's I'm, not I'm a lot of votes. what it is. But the point um, is, it was still undecided. Well, all right. Well, well, let's try to let's try to move beyond that. But let's just all talk right. about let, let's work under the assumption. So mm -hmm. I'll ask you to work both of you to work under the assumption that ultimately Joe Biden was elected. I'm not going to ask you to acknowledge that. I'll simply ask you to work under that assumption. Uh, Dave, I'll, I'll go to you. Are you optimistic about this result? Pessimistic about this result? What's your takeaway high level as to uh, where our, uh, our our friends down south are at these days? Yeah, I, I guess the problem with this result is that it looks like, uh, as, of, as of at least the time of taping, um, that the Republicans will, will maintain uh, their Senate majority. It'll be razor thin, but it'll still be a majority. And the Republicans have shown that they can um, whip the vote. So uh, there's going to be no great uh, progressive agenda getting past the Senate, I wouldn't think. So be a lot of compromise, which maybe isn't a terrible thing. Um, hopefully it brings everyone back to the middle as opposed to going to the extremes. Uh, so not terribly, um, you know, I, I, I think as, as long as, as um, uh, Biden as president can reach across party lines and convince at least a couple of Republicans to play ball on on um, some watered down progressive agenda uh, items. Uh, maybe he'll get some something to accomplish. So I, I like that. Um, going back to uh, Al's comments earlier about the polls, I, I'm not necessarily sure the polls were all that far off, at least on a national level. I think there were some crazy outliers on a state level, which certainly um, showed to be showed themselves to be inaccurate. But I think at a national level, they were they were pretty close. But they failed again to uh, properly calculate the. Um, enthusiasm factor. So if you're calling, um, you know, 10 voters and four say they're voting for Trump and six say they're voting for Biden, uh, but election day comes along and the four say they're voting for Trump showed up and only four or six say they're voting for Biden shows up, you, you end up with these results, which are, are pretty close. And the reason why, the only reason why Biden is so far ahead in the popular vote right now, I think uh, as of the you know, earlier this afternoon, it was about 5 million votes is because of lopsided victories in yeah, like California, um, in California, New York state, without that, Washington. Uh, it, it would be damn near even. Um, and you got some Republican uh, landslides in the Midwest, but those are much less populated states. Um, it, That's why so, the forefathers uh, knew about the electoral college. Otherwise it'll just be the big cities making choices. So uh, that's that's the way it is. I mean, at the at the end of the day, I don't think a Republican could come close to winning the popular votes uh, under the current scenarios. And by the way, there's a couple theories why Arizona is so close. 
and they were saying that that the Democrats that used to live in California left and they left to one of the nearest states of Arizona. And now they're piling it over there. So the commentary is, if you left California and didn't like the policies, why are you still voting the same in Arizona? And they're changing the demographics. It's really interesting. I'm listening to a whole bunch of discussions as to the analysis of uh, different states. It's a whole different dynamic. Now, will they eventually spill over and get Texas? If the Democrats ever get Texas, then it is over. <laughs> it's over. Republican can't win. Alex, the Democrats uh, change is, too, right? is, Those demographics have changed dramatically in the past uh, couple of decades. Al, is uh, Alex Jones or uh, One America Network your go-to uh, source for news these days? No, I do listen to uh, Hannity, Tucker, Laura. Uh, Lou Dobbs is good. Uh, Maria Bartiromo is fantastic. Newsmax is great. Um, you know, look, I, I listen to the people uh, who they have interviewed. Like if, uh, you know, uh, Pompeo went on CNN and I knew he was going there, I'd listen to CNN. I mean, I, I take everybody with a grain of salt. You know, I'll listen to any news channel and assess it accordingly. But at the end of the day, to me, it's it's still about the law and it's still about the process. And again, I, I saw every day, I read every Supreme Court decision, state decision. I was fascinated with the 2000 recount. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And to me, this is like just deja vu. And I'm just like, it's only day seven. It's not a big deal. Well, it, um, certainly felt, yeah. it certainly felt for me like a deja vu, deja vu to 2016 in about the uh, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock hour of, uh, of, uh, of this, this will be more night, like two, the year 2000. Let me just add to what Dave said, how uh, either a Biden victory or Trump victory affects Windsor. The Biden victory, a, a Biden victory would affect Windsor with, and, and my loyalty, obviously, I'm sure as you guys as Windsor Essex first and Canada as, as overall nation, but uh, Biden is pro auto sector. Biden is pro uh, Gordie Howe International Crossing. Biden is pro uh, auto sector. And I, and I can see him, however, trying to force, not force, but try to shift more of a green energy. So as long as the auto companies shift in that capacity uh, with uh, battery operator or electric cars, we better catch up on that. And as far as the oil sector, this is where I really feel for Alberta because the XL pipeline, which Trump approved, would be, would be hard hit. So th those are the things I look at primarily for you know, if, if Biden be, maintains a lead and becomes uh, president. Uh, if Trump becomes president, I think we're going to see the exact same. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a Biden presidency, I think, is good for trade on the whole for Canada. You won't see any of the reactionary measures such as uh, slapping tariffs on uh, aluminum. Um, I'm sure it doesn't matter who the president is. Softwood lumber is always going to remain a sticking point. That's a, one hell of a lobby. So I would think, you know, no matter who's in office in the U.S., um, things like dairy and softwood are always going to be inflammatory uh, in some way. Um, as far as the the Keystone XL pipeline goes, I, I somewhat, um, you know, uh, I think that's part of the problem with that is the fact that once the approval was given, they should have built that thing as quickly as possible. I'm not sure what the delays were, why they didn't get built. That should have been built as quickly as possible, knowing that if there's a future Democratic president that comes in, they're going to kill it. So as soon as Trump said, yes, you're good to go, here's your permit. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm confused as to why um, that that conglomerate didn't quickly get that Keystone uh, pipeline built and built quickly before it was uh, too late to do. So uh, I think we've probably flogged the uh, the political story to death, at least for this week. All right. So um, so hopefully by the time we, we record next week, there is a uh, some sort of resolution to uh, the political impasse in the U.S. We find out for sure that uh, there's a President Biden. Uh, uh, but until then, until next week, uh, let's leave the uh, U.S. politics alone. Uh, a lot going on in Windsor right now as well. Um, one of our bigger uh, COVID-19 stories, at least at the beginning of the pandemic, was the uh, fact that the city of Windsor chose to uh, kill transit service uh, for the first bit of the, uh, the lockdown. Um, now, uh, you know, a, a couple months after that decision was made, Transit Windsor began um, running again, but with backdoor loading. Um, with no one paying fares, um, and that saw an increase in ridership. And then uh, just this past uh, couple of weeks, um, Transit Windsor began, uh, for the most part, front door entry again with uh, uh, transit users being expected to pay. Um, and that uh, has resulted in a uh, quite a drop in ridership. Uh, so ridership right now is about 25%, um, so it's well below um, where it was. Um, 
part of that part of that process, uh, part of that problem, according to Windsor Star article uh, dated uh, November 6, 2020, is about the, half of ridership was um, for University of Windsor St. Clair College students, um, which obviously now those are predominantly, um, you know, being held, the classes are being held by way of, of video conference as opposed to in person. And so ridership is, has just dropped dramatically. Um, so the uh, Transit Windsor has announced that it's, um, you know, waiting for um, all the buses in the fleet to return to front door loading, after which they'll get a better picture of um, how far ridership has truly fallen, um, but did mention that this is not out of line with other um, transit systems across the province that um, has seen a dramatic drop uh, in ridership as people will work from home uh, and attend school from home. So well, it's, it's funny you say that. Yeah, the, the trend is the stay-at-home companies and the uh, pre-COVID uh, type of companies. So, for instance, today Pfizer announced that they have a, a vaccine that shows 90% effectiveness, and it was projected they'd only be affected maybe 60 or 70%. So the market goes up yesterday, today, and a big hit is what we're recording on. Zoom goes down, Amazon goes down. Uh, to places where people want to go to, the airlines, uh, Carnival Cruises, they go up. So I think it'll start reversing as people start to get more active. But every place, every business that relied on people moving around took a hit. Obviously, Transit Windsor took a hit. And that's actually going to segue into my next story. But Daniel, your comments on the transit? Yeah, I think uh, Dave kind of hit the nail on the head here, at least with why our transit is currently way down. It's not because, you know, it, it's not because of, you know, people want to say, oh, the mayor killed transit by uh, by shutting it down for a month and made the system unreliable. No, I mean, that that that's garbage. The reason that transit is down so far right now is one, as Dave identified with student ridership, which is half of their ridership not going to physical classes they just you know you don't need to ride the bus um there's also certain people who you know may have used the bus to get to various places of employment that either are now working remotely or are simply not working right now because of the nature of their job so i think that that's the primary reason that transit ridership is down in terms of why ridership is down when it's no longer free i mean i think that we'll have to uh we'll have to dig a little bit deeper on that i know one of the one of the uh, concerns when transit was originally made free prior to the shutdown back in march or april was that you had when when transit was free you had people just kind of cruising so you know when the libraries closed down and you had uh you had some homeless people who would just kind of maybe go to the library as their hangout for the day. They just ride the bus because the bus was free. So you, you could do that. I, I don't know, um, you know, what impact, uh, you know, the fact that we're now charging fares has other than to say that you're, you're not just going to ride the bus for free anymore to fill up your day because you now have to pay for it. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's something to watch. I think that the, you know, the rhetoric about the mayor killing transit is garbage. Um, you know, the mayor did what he did for a month. I think that there are certainly people who don't want to ride transit anymore because they don't want to be in close quarters with people. That's an entirely reasonable decision and another reason for uh, for ridership to be down a bit. So uh, something to something to follow. Certainly, we're going to have to reassess transit more generally as we get back to normal or the new normal. But I don't know that there's more that we can say about that now. So, uh, Al, any comments or you want to take us into our next sort of COVID related story? It is a COVID related story, but this one here features it on a facility not transit that the city of Windsor offers and it's our parks and recreation and this one being Lansbury Park beautiful beautiful park on Ottawa Street and at the end of the day people are being encouraged to go out in a safe manner instead of being cooped up to have some activity and you know some of the sports that are best for that or some of the recreational activities are when you have a large area a large field, or in this case, a large ice skating rink uh, to be apart from people and still be active. I mean, you know, you're supposed to keep six feet apart. So when you're ice skating or and certainly not breathe their air very, uh, very frequently. So when you're ice skating, things zip by very quickly. I think it's uh, people usually wear scarves sometimes around their face. Anyways, I think it's going to be a very good uh, time. And I'm happy that the city is announcing an all day free skating. 
uh, at Lansbury Park, and it's just to keep people active. They everybody uh, has been taking a hit for funding uh, in departments such as Parks and Rec, the Aquatic Center, Transit, you name it. If it involves <laughs> COVID style, keep away from people and less activity, it's taken a hit. And this one here to try to relaunch it back to try to get to some sense of normalcy. The bigger question I think is what's gonna happen with all these millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars of deficits on municipalities across Ontario, across Canada, who's covering that? Is this just gonna go into uh, municipal bonds? Is this going to be added on in our property taxes? Is the Canadian government gonna keep the printing press going? Like how, how does this get paid off is another part of the question as well. Yeah, so so to that last point, Al, about um, deficits, I'm not sure about other municipalities, but it looks like, uh, I think we might have spoken about this uh, an episode or two ago about the fact that the, the province has provided enough funding and the city has made enough um, cost savings that with the money that's flowing from the province, um, we're pretty darn close to breaking even at the, the level of Windsor, at least. I'm not sure about other municipalities. I'm, I'm not sure about the other big municipalities in Ontario, whether or not there's been enough funding for them. But it looks like the province, the feds might be picking up a lot of this tab, which, you know, it still hurts because we still got to pay for it as taxpayers. So well, the, fe the feds could pick up the tab because there's federal, you know, Bank of Canada currency. The province can't pick up the tab. They're not printing up provincial money. It has to eventually be the feds and it has to eventually be dispersed out over our, you know, over a trillion dollar debt now. And people are complaining about a trillion dollar debt because how much it went up so quickly. I guess, relatively speaking to the United States, it's about right. But we were holding our own and our financial institution actually had it. This COVID thing has just totally shot Canada's, uh, you know, security on, on finances compared to the way it used to be. Compared to the G7, some people are saying maybe we didn't get as much bang for the buck as we did, but we also are a, a vaster uh, space uh, of land versus the population. It's yeah. So the the, the big selling point, the big selling point, always was that we had a, a low debt to GDP ratio. Correct. Um, and that's that has been blown out, out quite a bit in these past number of, of months. Um, I, I, relative to the U.S., though, it's, it's dramatically different, right? So the federal uh, U.S. government is well over twenty trillion dollars now. Uh, we're one tenth the size, so really we should be at two trillion if we're on par with the U.S. Yeah, and that's at American dollars um, versus Canadian dollars, right? Yeah, that's that's true as well, but um, uh, we haven't taken on the same load of debt uh, per household at the federal level the the U.S. has. I, I think we're doing dramatically better than most of the G7 countries as far as debt to GDP ratio still goes. But it's it's certainly not pleasant to see it rise so dramatically. When you know, for since the '90s at least, with the the Gretchen Martin years, we've been talking about the need to balance the the uh, the, the budget, pay down the debt, um, and it looked like for a while we were doing a good job, and then. These uh, promised, um, well, 08 uh, happened, and that that added on quite a bit of uh, amount to the debt for a few years there. The Canada, uh, and, Canada did one of the best in the G7, is, G7 yeah. with our financial institutions during the... Exactly. So we've got, we've got very little cushion now, which is concerning sure. to me. But, Jeez, but, did you guys ever go down the rabbit hole on this one? I thought we yeah, were talking about Lansbury Park. Lansbury Park is relative to international debt. Okay, so let me make a few comments here. First off, this uh, this idea of Lansbury Park, my understanding is that historically that's been used as an outdoor uh, hockey ice rental. I think this makes sense to add it as an additional skating rink. Uh, I don't know if the ice quality will be better there than a Charles Clark Square, but I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, so good on, good on the city for doing that. I certainly like that. You know, one thing I'd like to see there is maybe you have some hours that are like shinny hours so that you can actually take a stick out there and uh, skate skate around. I think that would be kind of cool. But generally, I like that in terms of uh, in terms of the uh, how the city is going to deal with its debt. Certainly, that's going to be a story that we're going to be following over the next uh, five months as we get to a budget, which I understand has now been pushed back specifically because we're waiting on the uh, the feds and the province to tell us uh, how much money they're going to send down our way in terms of, uh, you know, it's an interesting, it's a really complicated, interesting debate on what you're saying, Al, which is basically uh, just print the money. And, you know, my understanding with what little I know of economics is that's effectively effectively called monetizing it it's uh it's it's interesting i had had a discussion with somebody 
a few months ago where they basically made that comment, you know, just print more money. And I thought, like, isn't that what causes stagflation? Like, that's an insane approach. But well, hold on a second. I'm but, not but saying look, that was just, the approach. I no, just no, no, said no. that's why the province can't be the one. To well, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you on that. that certainly the, the feds are the only ones that can print money. But I'll, I'll just say, you know, it's an interesting thing that you raised because, you know, I remember the first time that somebody suggested that to me, uh, three months ago or so i thought that they were absolutely nuts and i thought that they didn't know that their history and then i actually talked to some finance people um you know some people who really have some understanding of finance and they said you know the concept of printing some of it of monetized like it, we shouldn't just print all the money that we need that's going to create you know a mess like uh, germany had post-world war one but my republic yeah well exactly but but the concept of actually printing some of it um is not the craziest idea especially if we have a uh, you know especially if we move to somewhat of a recession of a recession of the economy you can actually balance that by uh, increasing the cash flow as i understand it. so that's certainly something to watch on the federal level level in the coming uh in, in in the coming years certainly something to watch but man did we ever get far away from us uh, free ice at Lansbury park but in the big realm of things economists are going to be talking about everything to do with all aspects from municipality to federal to provincial and the intertwines of uh debt and so forth and part of that story for Lansbury actually had to do with a deficit that's why i raised it well, let's, right. just, let, let's just let's, let's, let's just let's just yeah let's well, ice it. Let's uh, what i was going to say is let's just hope we don't print the ice at Lansbury park and let's not use that uh let's not use that plastic garbage that didn't work well oh and and didn't write about that one very favorably <laughs> next day the mayor got rid of it i never forget that one okay listen folks we're going to take a break i'm going to digest everything that we talked about we are coming back with what everybody wants to hear this is the biggest topic going on. It was the vote at city council uh, with regards to the mega hospital, almost seven hours long delegations. I was one of the delegates. I can't wait to share what was talked about and eventually the final vote. So stay tuned. You're listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse and we'll be back very shortly. And welcome back to Windsor's Inside Pulse. Uh, thanks for joining us for the second half. Um, we've got, uh, again, Al Tashuba, Daniel Ablisher, myself, Dave Sundin, and now being joined by uh, Christine Brooks, which is important because we're going to deal with the uh, the hospital in our second half. And um, the the men on this show are pretty uniform in their their opinions on this. But but Christine always brings in the uh, the minority report to our show. So we're we're going to have Christine weigh in. Um, so the hospital, um, unless you're living under a rock this week, this has been all the uh, the news in, in Windsor was the fact that Mayor Dilkins tabled a motion asking um, city council to to vote in support of the the hospital and the hospital location. Uh, in order to appeal to the the province to speed up the funding and to show that the community is uh, behind it. I, I'm not sure if the mayor in advance um, knew that there would be um, dissenters uh, to this. However, at the end of the day, uh, it, it was uh, six to four on council with the uh, the mayor casting a vote as well, I believe making it seven to four, although he's not obligated to unless he's um, breaking a tie. But in any event, uh, councillors Holt, Bordelin, Castante, and uh, McKenzie all voted um, against. Um, so, uh, we, you know, I won't get into the, into the weeds about the arguments. Um, you can certainly read uh, the various news articles to, to, to review the arguments and, and why people were taking the positions they took. Um, but I certainly want to get uh, everyone's uh, feedback here. So, um, Al, you were actually a delegation. Why don't you weigh in first as to um, your thoughts on this, and then we'll... Uh, We'll throw it to Christine for the uh, the important counterpoint. Well, with regards to the four councillors that voted against it, I just want to make clear, it's not that they're against getting $2 billion for a mega hospital. Their primary concern, from what I could understand, is that what about the people, the residents who currently live next to a hospital and are used to that? Maybe they bought a place over there. How fair is it to them that now the hospital they were counting on and relying and used to going to so closely is now so far away? And that's why when I spoke, I actually made reference to them. And I said, I appreciate neighborhoods and, and the logistics arguments of it but because of the bigger picture aspect of it and because this is a regional hospital you have to build it somewhere in the middle it's still technically in Windsor on County Road 42 but it's a Windsor Essex hospital so still Windsor is the benefactor geographically uh, closer to it and if we don't move on with it if we don't have 42 forward with that group and uh, we can't wait all these groups that are coming out and making the statements very clearly, there will be another region that 
we'll say, hey, you know what? Windsor Essex can't figure it out completely. They're not in uh, tune. They're not in sync. Uh, you know what, Mr. Mayor or Mr. Premier, Doug Ford, uh, we'll take the $2 billion and we'll have it in our jurisdiction. And that's precisely what we don't want, especially since it's been eight years to get to this point. And there was a process. You have to respect the process. Everyone had their say, but eventually it has to get on with it. When I was a delegate, I basically talked about the importance of the city of Windsor coming on board to make it clear that they are with the majority of the community. And I believe the majority of community is for the mega hospital in County Road 42. And it's important that they specifically say it. And I used the comparison of 14 years ago when they were deciding about the Herb Gray Parkway as we know it now, but at the time was the direct crossing. Um, they were gonna build a 12 lane above grade monstrosity and groups of the community, such as myself and a lot of terrific other people, different neighborhoods, we went to those DRIC meetings. They were like, no, we want tunneling. How dare you just- Not DRIC, that was DRTP, right? DRIC is- No, Detroit no, Detroit River International Crossing hosted the meetings for the crossing and then the roadway. DRTP was a different project altogether. They never ended up getting approved. There's still a rail line. So no, it was, it's called DRIC at the time. And then they got shifted over between the federal government uh, paying for the crossing, but the provincial government would pay for the route to the crossing, the federal government would pay half. And that was one of our arguments. We told the provincial government, why are you stuck at 300 million? The federal government will give you what you want to pay half. And Harper was saying that. So this, this was part of the logic that we pushed forward. And what really made the difference is when the city of Windsor came on board unanimously said, we want tunneling. We want, here's a project called Greenlink and Sam Schwartz came out. Now Greenlink is better than the parkway but at least there was elements and even the cantilever roads that went down were, were negotiated. But had the city not done that, had the city not made a motion and been on board completely, it might be possible that we don't have a tunneling or below grade aspect of it in a world class type of infrastructure. So it's important that the city makes a motion. That's what I said at my delegation. And it's important that the city gets on board with the big mega project. So I commended the mayor and it was voted seven to four and let's move on with it. That's what I have to say. Yes, well, uh, I, I understand that we do need a hospital and a, a more modern hospital. And uh, I also understand that Essex County, uh, people in the county also need uh, uh, good access to a, a better services, health services. Um, I'm not sure that the location uh, is right. And the reason for that is because We've decided, well, of course, we've decided on the, the, the location on account of being able to service the entire county. By that logic, why not put it in Tilbury and service Essex and Kent County and get even bigger monies? Um, after all, uh, we are now being using uh, quite a bit of services from London and uh, apparently, uh, you know, so, so why not that? Um, Obviously there, we would already have the six, four, six lane highway already. We wouldn't have to create it, but really it's all about the servicing the, the county. I understand that if that's the thing, um, it's going to be using uh, prime farmland. It's going to um, further decay neighborhoods uh, downtown and in other areas of our city. Um, uh, why? Uh, when, when in fact, of course, the idea is to build new neighborhood and to, to create this mega hospital for, uh, for Essex County as a whole. Well, I have a, a problem also. I, I'd like to ask, where is this being done? Are there other models that show new mega hospitals being built out on the outskirts of cities? Is that how people are developing their cities? Niagara, Sault Ste. Marie, Brampton, all at the edge of town. Yeah. Well, it's very, it might be very Canadian. It's, it's actually very um, ecologically unfriendly. You're, you're actually um, doing exactly the opposite of what most of the world is doing, which is really having things come back into the city and having um, people be able to, to, uh, to walk and, 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 and use farmland for the, its, its uh, appropriate purposes. Um, but I, if that's where it goes, if that's the best place, then fine, we, we do need a, a mega hospital. But another uh, argument that cannot be used is the fact that um, 
the mayor said, well, you know, uh, we discovered, uh, especially during COVID, that we really have a hundred year old system, et cetera, et cetera. We even had to open a field hospital. Well, I'd like to point out that even in a time where we would have a mega hospital, we would probably want a field hospital during COVID because that's where you would kind of isolate people who have a very infectious disease. So in fact, field hospitals will probably always exist at various points in, 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 uh, you know, in, in time if you have the types of diseases that, are, are, um, that proliferate very quickly. So um, the idea that we can do without is already a moot point because the, in the arguments given in the, in the Windsor Stars article, you see that in fact, uh, various parts of, of, of uh, existing hospital facilities will remain. So there's already a tacit understanding that we cannot do without, for example, emergency care downtown. We cannot do without mental health centers downtown. So really basically, I, I think it would be really interesting to know what will be available and what it is that will be in a mega hospital. I agree, but will will there be, um, for example, um, a children's, uh, will it be a children's hospital? Will part of it will be a children's hospital or will people still have to go to Toronto or even further to Ottawa for, for healthcare for their children or, or London? Um, so it, it would be interesting to know exactly what would be in there. And I don't think that has been decided by the way. Yeah, so so I certainly appreciate the um, the position taken by the the four dissenting councillors and and the rationale behind it. I I, I think the proper um, thing is to proceed with constructing the uh, the hospital in the chosen location, given the fact that it is regional. The county is supposed to receive the benefits they're paying they're paying for and to have an accessible location. So so I you know I am supportive of it, but I certainly appreciate the position taken. So uh, as at least by by councillors Castante and, and Holt and, and Bordelin, who I imagine um their constituents. May very well be in favor of 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 keeping a downtown hospital as opposed to one of the outskirts of the city. The one that surprised me was Councillor McKenzie. He must truly believe in his uh, urban planning uh, principles to uh, take the position that he wants to turn away uh, a massive project that was going to sit um, at you know in, in part of his ward. I would think Ward Nine is largely supportive of uh, the location given its proximity to Ward Nine um, and being a, a certainly a net benefit for Ward Nine. Um, so I, I'll give Councillor McKenzie kudos where kudos is due, which is he's, he's got some fortitude to um, take a position that, that seems adverse to, to what constituents would want. Um, but I, I think that these councillors would better better serve by focusing on what they can get uh, out of the province to ensure that the other locations continue to operate in some way. I think of the previous consolidation where you saw Grace Hospital closed down uh, and it became a, an absolute uh, desert around Grace Hospital where neighborhoods died. Um, whereas the Prince Road location, although it's no longer a fully functioning hospital, it was kept and, and provided, continued to provide medical services. And that's still a, a fairly vibrant community uh, around the Prince Road location. So, you know, if I, I understand the, the current plan is to keep the Olet campus um, going uh, in some capacity. Uh, I'm glad for that because I don't know if it could withstand that, if it withstand the Olet campus closing and, and leaving completely. So hopefully there continues to be the very least emergency services there, perhaps some longer term um, care going on there, uh, perhaps even, uh, you know, an operating room or two uh, in case there's ever an issue at the, um, the new hospital, uh, just to keep that functioning in some manner, um, because I think it's important for that neighborhood. Um, I would like to see uh, the Windsor Regional um, campus uh, at, at Walker and Tecumseh Road uh, continue on. But even if it doesn't, that neighborhood seems to be a, a bit more vibrant with uh, century-old homes, um, uh, wealthier um, residents, and I think they would, they would withstand uh, that hospital location closing. But but certainly we want to. I think the council would be better served on focusing on what they can get for their for their wards um, for the areas around the existing hospitals, which might suffer as a result of mega hospital coming in and those hospitals, existing hospitals either closing down or having fewer services offered. All right, so I watched all six hours of this debate yesterday. Um, lot of uh, thoughts on this. First off, on the sprawl issue, and look, I, I've listened to the sprawl issue for a while. I understand it. I also understand that this is to be a regional hospital. One of the problems with the sprawl argument is that along with the rezoning and the official plan amendment for the hospital, 
the city approved the secondary plan. And so even if we aren't to build a hospital in this location, we have now overlaid on this entire area, and I think it's like 6,500 acres or something, a secondary plan. So there will be development out there. People are allowed to build out there and the city is going to have to service those lands with or without a hospital. So in terms of the idea that somehow not putting a hospital out there can stop sprawl, that battle's already been lost. That battle was lost um, with, the, uh, with, with the secondary plan being approved that sort of came along and hid in the background as we were fighting over the zoning issue. The, my takeaway from yesterday, you know, I really focus on the politics of this. Frankly, I kind of think everybody lost. Um, you, you know, yes, there is a seven to four approval for this. Um, I think that the if you know if if the mayor's goal was to send a strong message to auto or to Toronto that everybody has got on board with this, I'm not sure that frankly was achieved. I think that if you knew that this was going to be seven to four and your goal was to truly to send a message to Ottawa or I, I apologize to Toronto, maybe you don't even bring this. You kind of let sleeping dogs lie. Um, I look at you know I look at camp i mean they lost they lost seven to four maybe uh maybe they're like the detroit lions and we can say yeah well they covered the spread on this one but they still lost they've lost everything i don't see how this helps them i think that dave you bring up a a a good point that um you know, I think that Councillor McKenzie's vote is the one that sticks out the most because this is going in his ward. Um, well, I want so, to comment on that too. Yeah. So, right. you, you know, so, so that, that jumps out at me and, you know, frankly, I, uh, I, I think that he took a very big risk here um, by being against the hospital. He could very well see a challenge on that. Um, you know, I, I could see people running against him simply on the basis of his vote here. I, you know, I looked at the delegates yesterday. I saw Jeff Casey was a delegate. I know he's a Ward 9 resident. You better be careful. Somebody like that could get a lot of support if you're going to take the position in that ward that you're going to be anti-hospital. In terms of, uh, you know, in terms of Councillor Costante's vote, understandable he's a urban counselor there's certainly concerns for uh for for ward two so i i don't think it's surprising how he got to his conclusion but you know he loses too because any anyone who is a politician you know your goal is to make as many friends and not make as many enemies as possible and on a vote like this you know it's not a vote that anybody had to cast it what this wasn't something that had to be done this was a, a motion that the that the mayor decided to bring um, to send a message to uh, to Toronto and you know and it forced people to make a vote on that you know maybe if your goal is to force people to say where they stand then it, then everybody did that but you know I, I think that especially councillors uh, Mackenzie Costante had to make a sacrifice by probably uh, angering a lot of people just as much as they uh, might make some friends um, you know I, I think that I, I think that in general like the question is, the, the suggestion that being made by the opponents to this is, you know, we could have an urban site. There is no urban site. My view is that if it's not at 42, this just dies and we wait a generation and maybe we see a hospital 30 to 40 years down, down, down the road. We'll keep putting Band-Aids on Olette. We'll keep putting Band-Aids on Met. Um, and, you know, and that's uh, that's what's going to happen. There's not we're not comparing sites here. And frankly, if we were comparing sites, what makes you think that that Windsor Regional is ever going to pick a uh, is ever going to pick an urban location? If I'm Windsor Regional and I decide to kill this project, go back to the drawing board and maybe try this again 20, 25 years from now, I'm not coming to the city. I may be sticking this thing out at, at Manning and EC Row, not having to deal with the city on this. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the what there is to be gained by killing this unless you really just want to keep putting band-aids on the on the urban site so i've said a lot i've got some other points but let me go uh al your thoughts i want to go back to your point about karen mckenzie this was definitely something that a challenger can you know ride between now and the next municipal election like karen mckenzie did not vote for a mega hospital that specifically helps his ward nine residents now, it's all very nice to fall on your sword and say, for the greater good of Windsor, I want to protect my friend. But no, 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 no. You are there to, number one, represent the benefits of Ward 9, and then number two, represent the benefits of Windsor. And this happens all the time with NDP-minded people. I remember when Brian Massey 
uh, voted not for the funding for the bridge because it was tied in to other economic budget things. He didn't even abstain. He was like, oh, ideological-wise, it wasn't enough money for this group of, like, Brian, we just got money for the bridge. You voted against it. You voted against money for to bail out the auto sector because it was in a budget. Oh, if it was broken down. Yeah, but what's your most important issues? Like, take a stand, or at the very least, you know, don't vote for it. And it's all the time. It's like the bigger picture ideological, like, you like i don't know if they make you know lawyers that like good lawyers that have to represent your client your client no matter what is who you have to represent ward nine needed somebody to represent them for the greater good of ward nine and karen probably if he took a poll would realize that 80 percent of ward nine is in favor of a mega hospital and county road 42 because for the longest time they were the ones uh, for generations that had to travel farther than anyone else to get to a hospital, uh, you know, at regional or at, at mattered hotel do. Right. So th this is like, well, okay, you know what, for decades, it was that way. Now it's this way. And, and that argument could have been easily made by a ward nine representative and said, you know what, on, on the basis of all that, you know, goes around, this is, this is the field. This is it. I just don't get why he would vote against it except for like, I don't know, some green ideological aspect of it. I didn't hear all of it, but it, to me, it doesn't make sense. If you've got 80% of the Ward 9 people supporting a mega hospital, you're their representative. You should be on the majority of your constituents, period. Well, and to be clear, I mean, I listened to what Councillor McKenzie said on this, and he didn't really make the huge, you know, urbanist argument. He, he kind of made the argument about, well, we haven't had studies done for the land, and we, you know, we've got servicing problems other, oh pla uh, other places in, in, in the ward, and, you know, we don't know if the traffic is going to be able to hold, and, you know, that's, that's kind of a weird... It, it really didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, obviously, as we Daniel, he should have taken he should have taken a thousand dollars of his own money if he's wishy washy and put out a push poll on it, which has, by the way, like ten percent margin of error. But that's okay because if you're going to end up with eighty percent of Ward Nine residents supporting a mega hospital on County Road Forty Two, that's how you stand. Or he could have put it on his website and say, "How do you vote if you're a Ward Nine resident?" That's how you should vote. I mean, you don't take that position away from your constituents when it's that clear cut. Out of all the out of all the wards, Ward Nine wants that hospital over there more than anybody, and their councillor voted no. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if he pays a price for that politically, Christine. I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he's uh, wrong to uh, to do this, or that it's so uh, critical. Um, I think, in fact, it demonstrates with the other three people who voted against this motion that it isn't. Uh, completely, uh, that certain things are not resolved. And I think that message is very good. Se it was 7-4, I believe, the 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 uh, vote. Well, it means that it's it, not everyone is satisfied with, or that all the questions are, are uh, resolved. And that in fact, that there are some questions that need to be uh, thought of. And I think that part is really, really good that people are, are, are thinking not in terms of, well, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. We don't even know really. In fact, the next step was another study and I think it's actually quite long. And I think personally that it should have, it, it should have been first the study and then the location. I know it's, it's all about the location because it's about Essex County people getting uh, good access to hospital care. And they certainly are owed that. They are taxpayers like everyone else. I am still not convinced that uh, in such a, a very uh, a spread out uh, area as Essex County that we can do this, but maybe we can. And uh, certainly the roads will have to be amenable to that. We need to have uh, two and four lane uh, 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 ways to get there as opposed to two lane highways. Um, so, uh, but, but that's, that's basically what that vote says. It does not mean that you are against a hospital. It's, it does not mean that you are against, um, uh, you know, being able to work out things with uh, the rest of the county. It simply means that you are not satisfied that things, that all the questions have been answered and have been looked at logically. But the, pro the problem with that, Christine, is that there's a chicken and egg problem here. A lot, the studies specific to the hospital, the planning components of the hospital, those actually happen in phase two. And this is a five-part phase process. Those 
parts come in, in the second and third phase of the process. So to say, I don't want to move forward at this time, well, unless we get that 10 million bucks to do those studies, like nobody's doing these studies for free. So that's the that's the problem is that what you, what you have to do is just say, OK, well, we have to move forward to do those studies. Now, the other things, traffic studies that will that will have to be done for new subdivisions out there, those get done by the subdivisions. So, of course, we don't have the traffic study for the new subdivision that there's no no subdivision application for yet. I think that it's like it, it's either a misunderstanding of how the planning process works or an excuse because he wanted to vote against this for his own political reasons. Okay, let's back up one second. You're talking about a study that maybe is comprised of 10 professionals. And from that, these 10 professionals, maybe they don't even live in Windsor, they'll analyze the situation, they'll give their input, and they'll probably charge a million dollars. Why not just have a website with a poll and put it up and let the people of Windsor decide. And each ward councillor can have their own website, especially Ward 9, so you can clearly see that Ward 9 was not properly represented based upon its majority uh, of preference. And there's your study. People get it. They don't need every little component of how much traffic and how often the traffic and the division. Yes. Do you yes, want a mega can. hospital here? Do you want the well, two but buildings? frankly, I think what Councillor McKenzie. I think what Councillor McKenzie's saying is, I know better than my residents. Yeah, he doesn't know. That's that's the problem. And even if he he's did know, he's, he's, he's not, not allowed that. to. He's not allowed to go against eighty percent. Eighty percent of the ward nine no, residents want it. I read, oh, he voted against it. No, he. I read into those no's is simply that these people are not satisfied that questions have been answered. And I take issue with the, um, the, the, the process because in fact, the location has effects on the urbanization and the development of our city. It, is a, uh, it will have effects on all of our region. So how we do this will have an effect, a di direct effect on all kinds of areas. So okay, but with the passage of the secondary, with the passage of the secondary plan, it's happening anyway, with or without a yeah, hospital. That's good. That's good. Uh, the the second phase is very important because you need to know what the, those effects are. We got it wrong with the casino. People kept on saying that the casino was going to create business downtown. It did not. It sucked all the business to itself, which was wonderful. It's a very viable place, but it did not create it. People didn't go shopping all of a sudden for shoes downtown. Well, that's why they should have maintained their contribution towards the downtown BIA. But that, that's another story. And I wasn't one of the people that said that it would it would help businesses downtown. I knew I knew the effect it would happen. Um, but at least it would bring people across the border with generate American money. And that it did. But it also created other problems. But it still created jobs. That's why you need cost benefit analysis, and that's why you need professionals to do it, and not. But it's been eight years. To take it to a vote. Look, one thing about the Ward Seven election is everybody knew where G1 Gill stood. Okay, and they knew where virtually all the councillors stood, especially by listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse that we interviewed, and that was one of our key questions. So people knew where they stood, and they knew the vote was coming up. And I bet you Mayor Dilkins was waiting for someone like G1 Gill, so this way it'd be seven to four instead of six to four uh, if they voted without him. But at the end of the day, I think this has more to do with geographic location than anything else. Ward one, or sorry, not Ward one, uh, Ward two, Ward three, Ward four are the wards that don't really geographically benefit. And I can understand why Fabio, Reno, and Holt voted against. I don't, and I never will understand why the mega hospital location in Ward 9 got voted by against by the Ward 9 councillor. It doesn't make sense. I just wonder if there's a political, be if there's a political benefit to, um, to those three councillors coming out, saying their piece about why they thought it was a terrible idea, but then saying, but... It's going to happen. It's coming, and we need to show United Front and, and then vote for it. I want to say the political benefit to doing that, or if there was too much risks in, in voting in favor of it, um, especially if 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 you know I could see one day Councillor Costante or Councillor Bordelin um, running uh, to be mayor. Um, not sure if that's a. 
a wise choice to make if at some point you got to appeal to voters in all 10 wards to uh, to vote against uh, I think they could have maybe done some fence sitting there's there's risk to that but they could have come out uh, say all the reasons why I thought it was a terrible idea but say but that ship sailed and now we're going to vote um, to make sure it's a unanimous vote and it's uh, a louder think, noise to the province. Uh, Christine, you want to weigh in on that? I think people will understand that they were not satisfied that sufficient questions were answered at this point. I think that that's what it is, as opposed to simply going against the actual uh, building. Of course, um, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't see that our region requires um, better health care. By the way, I'm also convinced that $2 billion will not ensure better health care. What will ensure better health care is um, access, it's, um, uh, it's uh, better organization. Why is it that so many uh, hospital workers end up working in the States instead of Canada? Oh, well, let's ask that question out there and not answer it because I think a lot of people already know and I think that's the kind of thing that has to change. And it's not necessarily $2 billion that's going to do it. It's organization and good thinking and good prep preparation for the new hospital. Well, folks, this is uh, certainly an issue. We're so happy to have Christine with a differing point of view. Uh, we're going to see the political ramifications, obviously, as this uh, starts to move forward. Well, you know what? I, I think that we've had our fun this week. We had I two think so. Okay. We, we had two huge stories with the uh, with the U.S. election and the hospital. We snuck in a couple of other stories on on the uh, first half of the show. I think this is a good uh, good show back after we took a week off. So uh, so with that, thank you once again for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and join us on Facebook at Windsor's Inside Pulse for show updates and bonus episodes tomorrow uh, is remembrance day november 11th so a special windsor's inside pulse thank you to those who fought for our country be sure to reach out to a veteran tomorrow and thank them for their service thank Indeed. you for joining us have a great week and we will see you next week bye-bye